Isn't the law like ahistorical? Isn't the law ahistorical? <laughs> we conclude that these racial classifications violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and therefore reverse the judgments of the Courts of Appeals for the Sixth and Ninth Circuits and remand for further proceedings. These are flash readings by the Britton Fellows at Georgia Tech. The subject? My name is Ruthie Yao. I'm a Britton Fellow at Georgia Tech. I have a PhD from Yale in American Studies, and my work is about educational justice movements. I'm particularly interested in student activism and in the legacy of the Brown v. Board decision. The object? I want us to take a look at the Parents v. Seattle opinion issued by the Supreme Court in 2007. I want to draw a connection between that decision, uh, which was much ballyhooed, and the efforts by students and teachers and community activists to maintain integration in the schools of Marietta, Georgia. This case was a big deal. For folks who are interested in school desegregation history, it was a big deal. But it was a big deal because it engages all of these really critical issues right now around individual choice and the ascendancy of free market ideas for school reform, not necessarily just the Supreme Court wonks were listening to and interested in this decision, but so many people were wondering what the Supreme Court was going to decide in Parents v. Seattle. So the words of Chief Justice John Roberts in this case have all of these resonances, and I want to talk about some of them, but I want to read these words first. So he says, it was the position that prevailed in this court, which emphasizes... No, the parties vigorously debate which side is more faithful to the heritage of our decision in Brown versus Board of Education. This is a quote from the argument of the plaintiff's school children in Brown. We have one fundamental contention which we will seek to develop in the course of this argument, and that contention is that no state has any authority under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to use race as a factor in affording educational opportunities among its citizens. It was that position that prevailed in this Court, which emphasized in its remedial opinion in Brown that what was required was, and I quote, to achieve a system of determining admission to the public schools on a non-racial basis. How can plans such as these that look at individual children and say, you cannot come to this school if you are black, or you cannot come to this school if you are white, be said to be determining admission on a non-racial basis. For schools that did not segregate on the basis of race, such as Seattle, or that have removed the vestiges of past segregation, such as Jefferson County, the way, quote, to achieve a system of determining admission to public schools on a non-racial basis is to stop assigning students on a racial basis. The logic. In the genealogy of Supreme Court decisions about desegregation, this decision was deemed a major blow to the ability of school districts to desegregate using race as a factor. Um, this seems maybe a little bit like a contradiction in terms. Of course, you would have to use race as a factor to desegregate a segregated school. Uh, but one of the dynamics that I'm really interested in, and one of the dynamics that's at stake here, is that of resegregation. So increasingly in the South, in the 90s, and in the 2000s, there's been a disappointing 
uh, to put it mildly, erosion of integration in Southern schools. This erosion of integration in Southern schools has registered uh, at the level of achievement for black students and Latino students particularly, but also uh, in terms of how we understand integration as fundamental to educational equity. This decision and the line about discriminating on the basis of race sets up this terrible irony, which is that the discrimination against white students in 2007 is given equivalence with the discrimination against black students in 1953. And this is something that is at issue in the community I study in Marietta, the very ambiguous legacy of Brown. The tide of resegregation sweeping the South in the analysis of desegregation scholars like those at the Civil Rights Project has created an urgent need for integration strategies. And in Parents v. Seattle, we see the impoverished state of integration strategies. There are folks who feel like it was not that great a blow, that the Seattle decision didn't close all the doors. Um, And it didn't. But the connection I would draw between the decision and what's happening in Marietta is that in Marietta, we see integration happening entirely outside any kind of court order and outside the adjudication of any official body. Um, We see integration happening at the level of the community. And that's what is important to and interesting to me. In Marietta, integration now has become about or has to be about taking community as the resource, right? Understanding it to be the context for any kind of movement forward. Integration strategies that seek to draw back white parents aren't integration strategies. They are strategies to draw back white parents. And that's what we see in Marietta and in a lot of uh, suburban places in the South and elsewhere, that schools are becoming majority minority in that really unfelicitous phrase, and where schools are trying to convince their local parents that public schooling is still rigorous and, and rich that it's still a linchpin in our democracy. Many of those districts, at a loss for other strategies, are using international baccalaureate programs or choice strategies to lure back affluent families. And in Marietta, the opposite, I argue, of that is community building and community organizing around the goal of a meaningfully integrated school. That's an empty phrase, meaningfully integrated school. But what I'm driving at and what efforts in Marietta are driving at is schooling where black and brown students are not barriers. They are not reduced to test scores or to a percentage of students on free or reduced price lunch, but rather they are community leaders. They found community gardens. They cultivate positive change in their neighborhoods. They manage to reinvigorate neighborhoods which have been crime infested, in the words of the local paper. So when I'm examining integration in Marietta, what I'm really examining is leadership among students of color that refuses the notion that the answer or the solution is affluent white families. The reality is there are declining numbers of affluent white families, and they do not and will not represent a solution or a ticket to educational equity, certainly not for black and Latino students. And what Marietta Yells represents. Yells stands for Youth Empowerment for Learning, Leading, and Serving. What Yells represents is the embodiment 
of these values, that students of color are powerful and creative and inspiring, um, and that the moment that you understand them and their context and their communities as the primary resource for realizing educational equity in schools is the moment that John Roberts's words cease to matter. The project. So Yells is the beginning and the end of my project. Uh, I wanted to look at the legacy of Brown through the lens of generations of graduates from Marietta High School, um, which is the flagship high school of the system. It's a small system, 8,000 students, and it has one high school. That struck me as an ideal site of analysis. So I interviewed graduates from the early 60s up to 2012 in order to, to talk to them about what the value of an integrated education is. And I heard from them that integration is valuable and almost impossible to quantify in a way that would allow a policymaker to bullet point a list. And much of what I heard from students, from parents and from politicians, helped me understand that we cannot move forward um, with heroes and villains, right? White parents are not heroes or villains. Black students are not heroes or villains. We need to understand that every single family seeks opportunity and joy and productivity in their schools, and that it is at that register, seeing each other as equally invested and invested together, um, that we might cultivate greater equity in schools. My interviews across the decades illuminated that for me, right, and made it impossible to tell a story in black and white, which is why I wanted to think about both registers. Metaphorically. Or <laughs> racially. Yeah, both. Right. Yes. Metaphorically and literally. Yeah. So and and the project's title, Students of the Dream, tries to get at those two meanings. The dream of integration is the dream of Brown v. Board. Um, but that also the new integrators that I identify in the book, Latino students and immigrant students or the dreamers, uh, that that both those registers are registers at which we want to understand the legacy of Brown and the potentialities of integration movements in Marietta and in cities across the country. Where to check it out. So the book is called Students of the Dream, Resegregation in a Southern City, and it's coming out from Harvard University Press in November. Flash Readings are a production of the Writing and Communication Program in the School of Literature, Media, and Communication at Georgia Tech. Our theme music is by Benjamin Shirley. My name, my name is Lauren Neef. My name is Lauren Neef. Thanks for listening. My name is my name.